Welcome to the recap. I'm your DM, your direct messenger, Noah Perito, and I'm here to tell you a tale. The tale of Gorgonzola, as she travels the realm of Feyfall, trying not to die. Our story begins in Padawick, a small town inside the Aurelian Empire, the dominant political force on Gorgonzola's continent of Emeralia. An imperialist, human-led government determined to conquer the continent, the Aurelian Empire makes life difficult for its ousted foes and their descendants, orcs, goblins, and the like. And so Zola set out from her childhood farm to find a place where she could prove she belongs, and maybe even become a hero. Donning her long-lost orcish mother's rusty sword and armor, the fighter snuck out in the night, hoping to see the world and also begin the search for the mysterious parent she never knew. However, her plan was put on pause when on the roads outside Paddlewick, she ran into Scram, a goblin wild magic sorcerer. Coming from the north and carrying a powerful crystal known as the Wild Shard, Scram was hoping to escape not just the Empire's persecution, but also the pursuit of the Wild Shard's former owner, a wizard known as Lord Tinderdick. After being attacked by a horrid monster known as a Grimlock, the two decided to stick together and protect one another. That promise made, the town was promptly attacked by more Grimlock, led by a drow, or dark elf, who had infiltrated the local lord's mansion and stolen an important artifact. In exchange for their lives, the lord, Craven Eaglebottom, instructed Zola and Scram to follow the attackers into the sewers and secure the so far unspecified item. And also maybe save some of the civilians who were captured, though he didn't care much about them. Just hours after their journey together began, Gorgonzola, Scram, and the local cleric in training Priya Alchuri found themselves tracking the invaders through the Underdark, a labyrinth of vast caverns lying beneath the surface of the world, before coming upon a secret fortress base. There, the three braved more unthinking Grimlock minions. Storming to the top of the fortress, Zola and Scram eavesdropped as the leader of the base, Brzala, spoke with her superior, a dark, disembodied voice on the other end of a swirling crystal ball. Zola and Scram learned that the attack on Paddlewick was no random incident. The drow had been instructed to seize the artifact, which had been stolen from them by the Lord of Paddlewick. Moreover, they learned that this underground fortress belonged to an organization known only as the Eye, who seemed to be manipulating the Aurelian Empire from the inside. Through a series of maneuvers that can only be described as reckless shenanigans, the trio managed to slay the leader of the base, steal back the artifact, which was locked inside of an impenetrable case, and save those civilians who were destined to be fed to Grimlocks. Escaping back to the surface, Priya returned to the temple to help the wounded, while Scram and Zola headed to Lord Eaglebottom to report of their success. Unfortunately, when they arrived, they overheard the Lord speaking with the same disembodied voice they had heard in Brazala's fortress, revealing that the Eye's infiltration ran deep. The voice exposed the Lord's plan to usurp the Eye, and assured him that his vain pursuit of power would not go unpunished. When they finally met with the Lord, Zola and Scram managed to lie about the success of their mission, secretly keeping the artifact to themselves, but ultimately finding themselves exiled from Paddlewick, their unjust reward for saving civilians? Feeling betrayed, our heroes planned to leave Paddlewick at the crack of dawn. Zola got a chance to say goodbye to her father, a sweet and caring cheese farmer, and then to Priya who, despite feeling the spark of teen romance ignite in the caverns beneath Paddlewick, felt that her place was with her people. After sharing an awkward first kiss, Zola had her last night of sleep in Paddlewick. Scram too.
but they did not find rest when they closed their eyes. While they slept, both had vivid visions of their destinies. In Scrams, the shards sang a warning of a coming change. Oh, behold the end. See, the past is now exiled. Your life is the spark. See, the flames grow wild. He was not just a random goblin who found a crystal. He was a prophet. Meanwhile, Zola's dream transported her to a city floating in the astral sea, a plane of existence beyond the material plane of Feyfall. There, she wandered through a fiery landscape consumed by combat and was called out to by a one-eyed god who commanded her to follow her bloodline and return to her people. She was saved from this command by a small moat of green light, one that led her away from the violence and towards a silvery portal which brought her back to her still sleeping body. Jolting awake, she and Scram found that they were not alone. The green light had followed her back to the waking world, revealing himself to be... A familiar, a cow-patterned weasel Zola dubbed Stillin. And that's where the arc ended. You're now all caught up in the beginning of the adventure. Tune in to chapter 12 to see what happens next, and until then, try not to die. All caught up on Arc 1, Paddlewick Problems? Well, welcome to the recap of Arc 2. Let's join our fresh-faced heroes as they head south to discover their destinies. Last time, our heroes Gorgonzola the Half-Orc Fighter and Scram the Goblin Wild Magic Sorcerer awoke from strange prophetic dreams to find that they had added a new member to their crew, Zola's familiar Stilton. Scram, Zola, and their new weasel companion escaped via the window of the Salty Rose Inn and Tavern, looking for urgent passage out of Paddlewick after being banished the night before. Our troubled twosome met Fiddle Styx, owner and captain of the Feral Free. Styx had just finished scamming a salami salesman named Dare Boucher and was looking to hire some new crew on the low. Beating a hasty retreat into the beautiful blue waters of the Mare Imara, the two met the crew of the Feral Free. Captain Styx revealed herself to be a dandelion yellow-skinned tiefling, disguised so as to pull cons on land without drawing too much attention. Her crew consisted of two humans named Nella Hachara and Zarum Batiko, three halfling triplets known as the Muscatinis who bared a striking resemblance to a young Danny DeVito, a Kenku navigator named Liar who spoke only in mimicry, a tiger tabaxi celestial warlock cook named Flambe, a gnome first mate with mechanical appendages named Mr. McGreevy, an orc quartermaster, quite a shocker within the Empire's borders, named Mascarpone, a half-elf disaster named Quince Tuffler, just a real scrub who quickly became a fan favorite, and a half-drow rogue named Ciciro's Painui. Though our heroes butted heads with the crew at first, through honesty and empathy, they eventually proved themselves to be worthy members. While at sea, Zola received another dream from the beyond, this one showing the horrors of the War of the Mare Emara and hinting at the potential truth of her heritage. She also began a bit of a romance with the vulnerable to light Ciceros, keeping her company as she manned the helm each night. Their first big disaster came when the Feral Free happened upon an old abandoned ship. Captain Styx, not one to turn away an opportunity to pillage, took the amateur adventurers aboard to investigate. 
The ship itself was an empty wreck, but in the hold, they discovered a chest containing a mountain of gold and a strange green gem. When Captain Styx left to get assistance, the gem spoke to Scram and Zola, informing them that it was actually an imprisoned orc known as Limburger, the Gravedigger, trapped by a mage who had attacked this ship. Before our heroes could decide their next move, the Wild Shard, known to absorb powerful magical objects, sucked in the gem and exploded with waves of searing energy, nearly killing both of our heroes. Zola managed to stay up, but Scram, near death, was only saved when the Shard absorbed him as well, leaving Zola alone for the first time. There was no time to grieve, however, as the wreck was immediately attacked by drowned orc skeletons. Zola's newfound magic and the ferocity of the Feral Free allowed them to defeat their skeletal foes and escape into the night. Zola, now without her first adult friend, found companionship with the crew of the Feral Free, specifically in Ciceros, who related to feeling isolated because of her heritage. Their next adventure came in the form of Driften, a floating fortress and a port outside of Imperial influence. After a date at the humongous tavern known as the Grotto, is date what we're calling bar brawls now? Gorgonzola and Ciceros found Captain Styx having a suspicious conversation with an individual that seemed too average. Avoiding questions, Styx sent Zola on a fetch quest to the city's watchtower to pay tribute. She received a blue stone of protection from the watchwoman, Tethesia, and learned that the floating city avoided the empire through fealty to the powerful ocean goddess Umberly, who kept the city moving so that encounters with the Golden Fleet were rare. Rare, but not impossible, as only a few minutes later, the bells of the watchtower rang out, signaling the Imperial Aurelian Navy's approach. The motley crew managed to escape to the outer walls of Driften, but were unable to leave the city without attracting the attention of Admiral Grosnant, leader of the Navy, who was there to collect taxes owed and assist Der Boucher in getting back his precious salami cargo. Thanks to quick thinking and quicker slicing, they fended off hordes of Imperial sailors and escaped the Golden Fleet. The peace was short-lived when Zola noticed some of her things had been taken from a secret hiding spot. She confronted the crew, learning Captain Styx and Moscar had confiscated it for fear that it was something suspicious. This betrayal of trust ended up a net positive, as it allowed for Zola to come clean about everything she had experienced in Paddlewick, the underground fortress, the one-eyed symbol, and the lockbox she had kept hidden from Lord Cravern. Captain Styx and Maskar explained that she had gotten entangled in the affairs of the Omni Malum, an underground organization that held influence over the realm. Maskar revealed that her mother's greatsword was actually the Tusk, a weapon sacred to orc kind and utilized by generals of the Formaggi army. Adding to the lore dump, Captain Styx utilized dispel magic, unlocking the box Zola had taken from the Omni Malum. Inside, there lay a golden crown of unknown origin and power. With some questions answered, Zola left wanting to know more and hearing the voice of the Gravedigger in her head. We have much work to do. Always the multitasker, Captain Six decided to fit in one more detour, a deep dive into the sea to recover something she had lost long ago. Taking big-time loser Quince along to hold the bag, they and Zola dipped below the waves of the Mare Amara to search an old shipwreck. Once submerged, they unfortunately made contact with another branch of the Omni Malum, this one led by strange fish folk known as Kuotoa. Forever useless Quince was promptly kidnapped back to their undersea lair, and who else was in the lair but Plebo, the underling Zola and Scram had accidentally lost track of in the Underdark Fortress beneath Paddlewick. 
Plebo had survived their encounter and was acting as a liaison with various branches of the Omnimalum on behalf of some mysterious leadership. Though they managed to escape from this horrid hideout and recover a music box Captain Styx's mother had left to her, huge waste of space Quince Tuffler died in Zola's arms. That's so mean. <laughs> so brutal. So brutal. It's so funny. Ooh, we're really mean to him. All was not lost, though. For thanks to some quick swimming on their part and divine intervention on Flambe's, the half-elf was revived. The crew celebrated with Fayfall's first ever pizza party, courtesy of the candidate inventor of pizza, Gorgonzola. The next day, the celebrations continued as the crew threw a small graduation party in honor of Zola and her successful tenure as a crew member of the Feral Free. That night, Ciceros and Zola shared a special moment overlooking a beautiful coral reef. But when the half-drow went below deck to get some wine, she was tied up and impersonated by Trick, the strange changeling criminal who had met with Captain Styx on Driften. They were seeking the Shard, apparently on a contract. When Zola resisted a poisonous kiss from the foe Ciceros, the rogue misty-stepped away. Going from bad to worse, the Feral Free came suddenly under fire by warships of the Golden Fleet. It appeared that Admiral Grosnot and Der Boucher had returned to take them into custody. In a daring move, Captain Styx cursed out Umberly, summoning a coral sea dragon that laid waste to half the ships, though also nearly killing our hero and the crew of the Feral Free. Thankfully, Zola staved off death long enough to defeat the Aurelians and lasso the dragon, allowing them all to continue their journey unimpeded towards the capital, Aurelia. The longest night ever ended with Zola and Ciceros kissing under the starry sky, then falling asleep on the deck as Mr. McGreeby did them a solid and manned the ship. And now you're all caught up on what happened in Arc 2, The Orcasy. Tune in to Chapter 26 to listen from here. At the end of Arc 2, our lone hero felt she had settled into the life of an adventurer. A perspective turned on its head once she arrived in the big city for Arc 3. Last time, our hero, Gorgonzola Parma, savior of Padawick and privateer on the Feral Free, arrived in the capital of Aurelia. She hoped to learn more about her magic, as well as the strange wild shard that had captured her friend Scram and the suspiciously evil-sounding orcish mage named Limburger, or Gravedigger. There, Zola found refuge in a quaint tavern known as the Drunken Drake, meeting the halfling tavern owner and mage, Barley Agisia, and a mysterious man named Smite. Exploring the city, Zola met the high priest Moss Peacewillow of the Temple of the Wild, learned of diseased cloning rats in the city's transit stations, and discovered that the aforementioned Smite was a local menace-slash-vigilante known as Landscorcher. Bent on destroying Imperial forces, Landscorcher had dedicated himself to protecting the innocents of the Outer Districts from kidnapping and outright abuse. Dead set on having some semblance of a teenage experience, Zola applied to university under the alias Brie Camembert, hoping to find some of the answers to her quest in the university's erudite study. Along the way, she stopped at Marfin's Magnificent Magical Menagerie, acquiring some freelance work from the Archmage-slash-store owner himself. Zola hoped to fund her education, and Marfin hoped to learn more about the strange doppelrat cloning disease. Things were looking up for our half-orc hero, until the changeling rogue named Trick, who had been tailing her since Driften, managed to steal the wild shard. Zola pursued Trick, 
relying on her sword's strange powers to fuel her orcish frenzy. But with trick and hiding, Zola's fury was misdirected, leading her to kill an innocent bystander. Racked with guilt, and knowing that in the wrong hands the wild shard could be used for evil, she pivoted her plans to finding and securing it. With the help of Smite, the two tracked Trick through the Aurelian Necropolis. There, they discovered some of the lost history of the fallen kingdom of Leoniel, as well as a bizarre malfunctioning automaton, technology supposedly alien to the world of Feyfall. They destroyed the automaton and delved deeper into the Underdark, where they found Trick discussing transportation out of the city with Plebo Underpaddle, the arch-nemesis of Zola and member of the Omnimalu. Zola reclaimed the shard, but once more her furious bloodline took another life, this time Trick's, and Plebo was once more allowed to escape into the Underdark. Zola returned to Marfin's, dropping off the research components he had requested, as well as Trick's dead body. Moved by this teen's plight, Marfin agreed to try and resurrect Trick for a small fee. Meanwhile, Zola finished the application process at the university, passing the entrance exam and meeting Archmage Flay Chantress, advisor to the Emperor and Dean of the university, who seemed overly keen on keeping an eye on our hero. Joining in Smite's fight against tyranny, Zola became a member of the Order of the Fallen God, a semi-religious group of misfits seeking to learn more about the fallen goddess of magic itself, Mistra. After hearing the government was making a big announcement on Friday, the group decided they would attend the event together to learn what their enemies were planning next. The following day, Zola met Brigid, an elven druid from the southern jungles. Brigid was the keeper of the Allfire, a powerful fire spirit gifted by the gods to burn away all that prevented new, healthier growth. Brigid had arrived at the Temple of the Wild to give her uncle Moss Peacewillow gems to pay long overdue taxes on the church, but when she arrived she learned he had been kidnapped. Seeing a potential link to the disappearances Smite had been investigating, the three teamed up. They fought off Omnimalum agents who had tracked Zola, including Lord Akion, the mysterious voice Zola had heard speaking to Brizala in Padawick. The Omnimalum sought the crown Zola had found there, supposedly a powerful spellcasting focus they planned to use to further their influence. After disposing of Lord Akion, the trio took to the Underdark once more to follow up on the kidnappings as well as a new lead, something or someone named Paragon. Along the way, the trio fought strange monsters of the dark, observed slime-covered walls, and even stranger, watched as seemingly random trinkets appeared before them, all the while feeling as though someone were watching them. They tracked down Plebo and a drow mage named Erika Boderica, tricking them into leading the three to a secret city beneath the capital known as the Socket, home of the Omnimalum. Through a series of violent deceptions, they managed to escape their foes and flee into the city itself, hiding in plain sight using Zola's Ring of Disguise, the Bag of Holding, and Brigid's spell Pass Without Trace. Knowing they were short on time, Brigid used a special item she had been given, an enchanted bag of beans, to cause chaos throughout the city, even creating a massive tree and a pyramid containing a mummy lord in the middle of the settlement, throwing the Omnimalum's forces into chaos. Sneaking inside the walls, the three discovered admin buildings filled with information on the organization's history and plans. They also discovered a secret laboratory where a tinkerer named Suladed Didopus conducted experiments on innocence, creating terrible weapons to further the Omnimalum's agenda of conquest and control. Their work culminated in the building of the Auric Army, 
A-U-R-I-C, as in golden, automatons powered by the souls of those captured using a twisted clone spell. This linked the organization to the doppelrats that plagued the city, as well as the automaton Zola and Smite had fought. They learned the War of the Mara and Mara was a setup. Prior to it, the Omnimalum had infiltrated many of the region's governments, except for the First Might nation of Formaggi. To eliminate the First Might and bring about the coup that would eventually put the Emperor in power, they stole a sacred object from the Formaggi and framed the Kingdom of Leoniel for it. This led to both of their destruction, the establishment of the Empire, and the fleeing of the First Might's forces north of the Ouroboros Mountains. These forces had been led by none other than Zola's mother, Mozzarella, who apparently was the daughter of their chieftain, making Zola heir to the Orcish throne. During a rest in a supply closet, Limburger once again spoke to our hero as she drifted off to sleep, revealing her title, Stregarede, or Witch Heiress. Limburger once again offered Zola his assistance in saving the imprisoned. She refused to free him, and he hinted that he couldn't be held long. The shard was becoming corrupted, and the ambient magic in the cavern seemed to warn of his potential escape. Zola slept, knowing yet another fuse was nearing its end. Storming the cloning lab, the three saved Uncle Moss Peacewillow, plus a tiefling bard named Sleepless, and a hobgoblin named Nob, just before their souls could be removed and roboticized. The group split up for their escape. Moss, Sleepless, and Nob would head over to Brigitte's enormous conjured tree to begin casting a powerful teleportation spell called Transport via Plants. Meanwhile, the trio would raid the central column known as the Pupil to save the rest of the captured people. As they left, Zola told Moss she would ensure Brigid would make it out safely no matter what. Ominous tidings of what was to come. Infiltrating the pupil, Zola listened in on a meeting of the Council of Lords, ambassadors of the various regions of the Empire. While spying, she finally caught sight of the leader of the organization, a paranoid monster known as Paragon, a cycloptic, spherical aberration with ten twisting eye stalks. Paragon planned to burn the jungles to the south, march on the nations north of the mountains, and instate Zola's friend Quince's dad as a new member of the council, replacing the disgraced Lord Craver and Eaglebottom. Before they could learn more, Tiny Spy Stilton was spotted by the ever-vigilant Paragon. Though he tried to escape, Dean Flaychantress managed to catch and analyze his pied hide, realizing her student, Zola, aka Brie Camembert, was nearby. As Zola and Stilton spied, Brigid and Smite explored a garden they had discovered, finding a strange ecosystem kept alive by brightly glowing crystals similar to those seen in the Underdark. When Zola joined them, the trio found that the garden was a prison meant to keep a golden-haired woman known only as Paragon's pet hidden. Persuading her that they were not enemies but allies who can assist in her escape, she joined them and took on a new name, NP, or Not a Pet. Together, they freed the shackled citizens, fleeing out into the streets of the socket to meet up with Nob, Moss, and Sleepless. They found them at the base of the massive tree and stone pyramid, battling for their lives against the ever-increasing forces of the Omnimalum. Thanks to the element of surprise that bringing a massive mob gave them, the trio broke through the barricade and teamed up with Moss, tearing open a portal in the trunk of the tree. In a grueling ten rounds of combat, they managed to hold off hordes of drow mages and grimlocks that threatened to kill the citizens as they fled. They even convinced NP to join the fight, revealing her to be a young gold dragon and the sacred item taken from Formaggi to start this war. 
Thanks to each of our adventurers donating their magical abilities to the Druid Priest, Moss was able to keep the portal open long enough to get all of the living citizens out of the Undercity, along with Brigid, Smite, and a mysterious elderly woman. However, in the presence of such vast magical energy, the wild shards surged multiple times, causing a wave of raw magical chaos to radiate out from Zola. Before Zola and NP could flee, one of the drow mages summoned black tentacles from the ground to grapple them. Zola was forced to throw Moss through the portal before it closed, leaving her and her new draconic companion stranded and alone, surrounded by the recovering forces of the Omnimali. And that's where we ended our third arc, The Aurelian Awakening. Tune in to chapter 48 to listen to arc 4, Heritage, or jump into chapter 69 for a full recap of the arc before we head into the last arcs of our story. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, try, try not, not to, to die. die.